0: One of the scariest things for a high level player is a competent or upper mid-level player who just knows when they just need to try to high roll you.
1: <laughs> Tim, what's
0: up, man? How are you? I was like, I was like, man, these I was like, chat's kind of quiet. Like, all right, hey, everyone, sorry about that. Uh, we were under the in- impression that after we hit the music, it would just go live automatically, and then we've just been talking for like 20 minutes.
1: Listen, we had a great conversation
0: guys we had a great conversation uh so let's do a quick recap uh we <laughs> we've been gone for about three weeks and twenty five minutes uh <laughs> of family issues and just general ineptitude yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've just I've just been focusing on the team USA stuff getting if I I don't know if I'm starting yet or not. Um if I do start I'll be on Chaos Demons. I think we have another Scrim soon versus Northern Ireland and then versus cool. Poland. And then after cool. that, we go we we close the external scrims, we start looking at starter selections, and then we start doing like the secret laboratory stuff. Yeah. Um we we're very your excited head is about you're headed to your head is in Belgium no matter what there, right? I'm heading to Belgium no matter what. Sick. Yeah, we're making a family trip out of it and everything. So uh well. oh Anthony says Netherlands too. We have a scrim against Netherlands. Ooh. Sweet cool All
1: right now all right now
0: all right well I mean, I'm, putting my hand up, I'm putting my i'm putting my <laughs> hand up for all of them i got i got a trip next month to visit family in california but besides that i'm i'm not i don't have anything going on that's
1: dope. um you said you're trying to avoid some level of burnout right now right it's getting a little yeah bit it, it
0: feels like i'm training with an injury i'm trying to Make sure i optimize my practice where like i'm getting better and better and better with every i'm not losing ground i'm getting better and better and more comfortable with chaos demons the book and with the list i'm i'm specifically running i feel like i have it dialed in pretty tight toward i like and i'm finding mm-hmm. new stuff every single rep but i'm also make i don't want to do useless practice i guess and i'm also mm-hmm. not being as engaged in like conversations and discord about the game because even though i enjoy talking about the game mm-hmm. if i'm just talking about the game and i so mean if i'm immersing myself in 40k constantly like i do risk that burnout i don't want to burn out like right as we're going to wtc or right as 10th edition is starting so i am like hyper focused on literally just getting better at my list mm-hmm. that's the only thing i'm focused on right now yeah and maintaining love for the game <laughs> It's the yep. worst
1: to like lose your love for the game in a competitive environment. That'd be tough.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't want to lose my love for the game like right when tenth edition comes out. So yeah. I'm like coasting a little bit. But what about you? What it you about too? That's cool. Well, again, to reiterate, <laughs> uh, we had such a great conversation. We're just giving you the clip notes <laughs> of this conversation. The
1: two, the two babies suck. Big, like, yeah. It was so so silly, man. Um, the two big 40k related things that I've been working on over the last few weeks are uh, one, hobbying up my death watch list i've got like a core thousand to 1200 points that i've settled on that i think will also likely carry over well into the new edition um it's like the spectra squad chaplain on a bike a watchmaster um three by five desolators they're probably just they're just good they're gonna be good um and then a uh squad with a bunch of outriders and some plain old intercessors and i've just got some death watch vets etc so right now i'm like printing a bunch of custom chapter shoulder pads and like getting ready to do the full hobby commit where i like prep everything and then like crank out the army in like a week um the other end is that i've been helping to organize um and i'm playing in the slow grow league in my friendly local game store that When we originally putting it together, we thought it was gonna be like, oh, like 20, 25 people open up our RTT audience. And that turned into 63 signups, like almost half of whom are new to 40K broadly. Um, And we're starting at 500 points. so It's like very easy entry, lots of prizes for hobbies, sportsmanship, general participation, standalone prizes for people that are new and separate categories for them. Um, So we're really hoping to be able to convert like half of those people from uh, the crusade league into regular rtt attendees and sort of like get them more engaged in the competitive community uh, so that's been exciting and for that i'm playing chaos Knights, uh which is dope because i love hobbying up big robots um aside from that just like you know dad stuff
0: so much dad stuff uh, yeah you're uh you're playing chaos nights right yeah love three it. word odds right. 500 points done i i can't I've played, I think I've played every faction in the game at some point, except for Admech and thousand sons. And I can't quite put my finger on it. Like just nothing comes close to the aesthetic that chaos Knights have. And I'm I'm talking about like, as someone who got into the game because of like world eaters back in like 1996, 1997, they were just two data sheets in the chaos space Marine book. But, um, I don't know what it is Chaos Knights the big evil robots I don't, just everything about them is just I love it yes, they're such they're cool good. faction. they're good so thematic so dope uh Dr
1: Zero hour oh no we we know <laughs> we are aware of the Chaos Knights we're
0: are we're, we're very aware <laughs> um as we know we know who our Warriors too they they definitely have done some good breakdowns um so let's talk about the. Uh, we're a, bit, a little bit weak, late. Just we're like relate to everything. Uh, but let's talk about the uh, the data slate, man.
1: <laughs> uh, so like, big, big sort of like, oh, that's cool, and also like, uh, I wish they had paid attention to this. That's cool, and appreciate I appreciate their decisiveness on this. But like, just nuking transhuman out of um, inner circle, great. That list was horrible. Um, it was a pox on the meta running 40 plus terminators directly forward and scoring all the points and rolling not ones i'm sure it was super fun for the people that were playing it but it was like not fun at all to play against um and so i'm glad that that's gone and hopefully those folks will convert back over to like the more interesting Ravenwing raven wing version of dark angels which is like dynamic and speedy and threatening and like you know, feels like it's like a sweaty, tense play experience, even as the other player on the other side. Um versus the like, oh my god, for the love. like please roll a one. Why are you resing that character? Why are you healing that? Oh my god, this is happening again.
0: Uh experience of playing
1: against Terminators.
0: Um I don't think I don't think anyone enjoyed that list on your side of the table. Um look, I'm i I'm sorry for like all you guys who legitimately had like an entire fluffy First yeah. wing, you know, first company, yeah. Terminators, every yeah. single one had, like, their individual, like, you know, name on the plate and everything, you know, for, like, the 0.1% of you out there, like, I'm sorry, but it's two months, 10th edition, like, you'll get over it, it'll be fine. <laughs> the other 99% of Dark Angel players, like, half half of them didn't like it, but liked winning, the other half had just gaslit themselves into thinking that they liked that list, so... I'm not sad to see that list go at all.
1: (laughs) Grant. My chapter's lore is that I like winning. (laughs) Correct. It's good
0: for. But yeah, I I think you can go full Ravenwing. I think we were kind of discussing this earlier before we failed to hit the live button. Um, (laughs) There's nothing worse than when you feel kind of like held hostage by like optimization. And I think it's freeing in that sense for Dark Angels players. Because I think a single unit or maybe two units... But probably just one of Deathwing Terminators as like kind of like a unit to kind of threaten the center space of the board is is still a viable thing. And then you support it with other aspects of that book. Um a lot of people, I heard a lot of people saying how they like the lion, he's cool, he's awesome, blah, blah, blah. But they just didn't think he would make the cut in in their current lists. And now I've seen wow. some of those people. Now I've seen some of those people reconsider it because they're like, oh, yeah. well, now I could take like the lion and like the minus one damage banner and a single yeah. of terminators, maybe an apothecary, maybe yeah. not, you know, and now I, now I have like a solid package to push the center while I have my, my desolators, I have my fast guns with the Raven wing, you know, I'm like, yeah, it sounds like, that sounds like a real list, you know, it sounds a little more dynamic. about deathwash man i know you're excited about that
1: yeah i am i mean i'm like i'm excited because they got some some sort of thematic changes and like a a real fix to their secondary so the thematic change is that they can pick whatever doctrine they want to be in every turn cool that's actually like quite cool assuming that you're taking the right combination of units inside your list um because like they can do they can do a pretty smooth like turn one charge wish with like 20 or so dangerous uh, close combat units and a smash chaplain and like really get it going and you like throw somebody into white scars, go with Assault doctrine, turn one. cool. like that's that like feels nice. Um, and it like sort of allows the newly revised Codex warfare secondary to still serve you. Um, because you can like more easily score points as you would like to. Um, <laughs> God, I'm just gonna like print out templates with that. That's like base banners. We like winning. I um, love that. <laughs> the and the change to color order is awesome because like that's like an easy nine points every game now as a floor. Yeah, receiver. that looks
0: that looks good. I like it's, that. It's like a, a
1: really good secondary now, um, whereas before it was like
0: a very binary. <laughs> Like you could get flat zero very easily. Um, so something, something. You know, I was just thinking about because we were we were talking about it before we pressed live. Uh, we were talking about how just <laughs> Iron Hands, Iron Hands are relatively untouched. Like the scoring got tapped a little bit, but if if you're the best army in the game at damage output, you know, and just the overall package, it kind of makes up for like taking a, a small hit to scoring because if no one else can really challenge you it's kind of hard to leverage a scoring advantage over you um i think death watch might might i mean you let me know you only got two weeks to test this out and you're gonna be <laughs> to nights but i think death watch might be a nice little uh sleeper counter meta pick um because you could run because you have that warlord trade to ignore cover so i think even, you yep. run one big unit of desolators and then two small five mans and you put the ignore cover on the big desolator yeah. unit and then you use tome of Ectoclades to re-roll, reroll all wounds against enemy desolators <laughs> you know and then yeah. you can reroll. you can basically get yourself in a position where you're re-rolling you have your big 10 man unit ignoring cover re-rolling hits and wounds and then you have your two five bands um re-rolling ones to hit and then re-rolling all wounds all wounds. And, and I feel depending like depending on placement, also ignoring cover because that nowhere to hide is aura, So, really. Oh, it's an aura. I thought it was command Nora, phase yeah. selection. Oh, I thought and I thought you it's... picked a unit command phase. Well, that's even better. I mean, I think if anything is going to like level the playing field um, for versus Iron Hands, I've, I hate that it's like Desolator versus Desolator, but that yeah. might be that might be worth looking at. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh man. Especially, yeah, especially given that, like, I mean, everybody else is in Devastator, Doctor, turn one, but the ability to, like, if you need to later, in later turns, assuming that maybe people start hiding Desolators, given that, Mm -hmm. like, it's just going to turn into Desolator versus Desolator counterplay for Marines. um, Having the opportunity to, like, throw that down later in the game when needed. I know.
0: Uh, A few of my peers who i respect they are half meaning but they're also kind of half looking at imperial fists just for to win the desolated war. cover ignore cover but then save stacking because yeah. they have i think two different ways to add plus one to their save um it's uh, list tailoring at the highest level but I, mean, was, <laughs> I I guess that's the thing you could do yes yeah. uh, the data slate um That Abhor the Witch change is mega-trolling. It doesn't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Mega-trolling, yeah. Yeah. Mega-trolling. I do Uh, think
1: it's the sort of thing that I think matters. It matters in the like two and three, three and two brackets, I think, because those were players that actually were taking that um, alongside stuff like Assassinate and it was working for them. Whereas I'm thinking like, mm-hmm. you know, when you get to like the shark tank levels, we've got a bunch of people that are three and oh, four and oh already. And like really gaming, like they weren't doing that anyway.
0: So, yeah, there's, there's a certain level where you kind of have a plan a and plan B based on what, cause you're supposed to reveal your secondaries at the same time. And there's kind of like a plan, a plan, plan, a plan B, and then like a flux pan based on like what your opponent picked, you know, and, Mm-hmm. A lot of players don't like to railroad themselves into an aggressive posture. If your if your opponent picks like purely passive secondaries, because now you're the one you're a bit now it's like it's on you. Now yes. it's it's their game to lose because now all you have to do is just screen you out and apply damage without letting you get good trades out of it. Yep. And that thousand suns like doing that a lot. Uh, yep. What else? Uh, My demon list loves the finial change. That's kind of cool. It was odd that they. <laughs> like they didn't hit the right part of it they didn't hit the right part of it they, <laughs> well they they hit the part they hit the part that was oddly good into my specific list so <laughs> i have like i really only have like two rtt's coming up in this edition that's yeah, it and yeah. so and there, we have a local guard guy for that i for sure will like have to go through so that is super relevant to me but yeah it was kind of odd that god that really just does so much yeah uh, do you think
1: else?
0: do you think that change
1: is enough alongside the um uh, mortal wound bomb nerf do you think those two changes are enough to like keep people out of the run 30 casserkin automatically game does that drop down like 10 20
0: Casket are still really good um, cheap yeah they're cheap the, the, the thing with Kaskin, the casket the caskin unit itself is like an okay unit. It's just a unit that just, um, it's almost like a very reliable like broth to like the best soup you've ever had by itself. It doesn't do anything, but it's the best recipient of additives or buffs and ingredients that you've ever seen. Love um, it. I've Love never. I've never. Yeah, I don't know. I just came up with it on top of my head. The best I have. I'm sorry. I've, I've never. I don't think I've ever seen a unit that just goes from like you know like "Eh, it's fine it's unremarkable to like oh my god it is just the it takes buffs exponentially it's incredible um so that'll be that'll be interesting um i think i think it kind of railroads you into running the horse guy and then you might see people experiment with dropping him and only taking like a single one or two units of car skin and then using Mm -hmm. his points to get you like more infantry squads or more sentinels more so that might be a thing you see people do Lean more into the the wounds on the table and mission play kind of aspect. But I don't know. I don't really know that much about guard. Um. So we'll see. I think. I think anyone who is seriously tryharding for the rest of the edition is probably just going to run Iron Hands. To be honest, and I think the people who are, um, I think you got people like from our Discord, like Zach and everything. They're still going to do great with guard. And I think yeah. a lot of the people that are kind of like struggling to convert three and twos and four and ones to event wins, I think this is going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. But I think the I think people like David Gaylord, who like you know, who picked up guards, stuff like that, you know, Manny Chima's I think they're just going to run Iron Hands if they're really just trying to like win events.
1: Yeah, I think that's yep. what we'll see happen. Yeah, Desolators. Desolators for life. Yep, Space Wolves. Yeah, my gosh, the amount of free warrior that the Space Wolf Wolves can. Spa- Space
0: Wolves are good. I I don't. I'm not. <clears throat> I think it's gonna. I think the space wolves is gonna be a hobby thing. I think people who can who already had space wolves or can borrow space wolves will for sure run it. I think there's yeah. a lot of people that are just going to like look at the idea of adding 40 compa Melters two months before oh. the new edition comes out, and they're just gonna they're just gonna sit it like, out. Nah, no
1: thanks. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Whereas iron, you don't really have to do anything special for Iron Hands. You just have to get that one dreadnought. That's it. Um, brood swarm nerf. Um. I think the I think the best way if you're gonna if you're gonna take down Gene Sorcule in Data Slate, the best thing you do is just post a hyperlink in the Data Slate to Ennis' uh, little short clip about how to play into Gene Sorcule. Mm-hmm. I think that would have that would have knocked five percent off their data. That their win. <laughs> right we
1: were talking about this in the um, in the like data nerd version of Stat Check earlier this week, but my we were like trading hot takes, and my actual hot take was like. What like is GSE in fact really good, or do we just have like a disproportionately high number of savants running that faction, um, who are all like fantastic players anyway? On top of just like ambushing players in real life, since they don't know what's going on because you don't really interact with that faction on a regular basis.
0: I'll be here's my hot take. I think it's I think it's a fifty percent win rate army. The hidden behind opponents' lack of knowledge interesting that's generally how i feel about it yeah um and the brute swarm nerf doesn't really i guess it like it narrows the margin but it doesn't really change that but i mean it's hard to really ever address that without fundamentally changing what gsc are i think gsc are just always going to be that army that is always going to have a low representation and it's like the army you take when you want your game to be complicated but you also want to like Stunt on nerds, like when you nail it. Same with <laughs> stunt on nerds when you nail it. There's, of, there's like, like a
1: hobby appeal too. It does. I'm sure it feels big Yeah, yeah for sure. Feels good to big brain it on people for sure. Um, for sure.
0: And I mean, like that's and that's that's super cool. And I think armies like that. um Like I said, I'll take it back to like when I was a big like League of Legends player. Uh, there's a champion called Lee Sin, who is like one of the more, more complicated uh champs in the game and a lot of times i mean unless he was operating outside of his power band his you know his win rate sometimes patch to patch sometimes it'd be up here s tier sometimes it'd be d tier but it never really like consistently from he's he's an old champ so never really consistently was way above or way below anyone else but he was always like a very high high skill cap type of champion you know Mm -hmm. something like that and uh, i mean if you were in the like the lower metas and then like someone was like had started up a new account and they hadn't really had their hidden elo updated yet you know and then they were in your game but they had like thousands and thousands of, air- of uh, hours on this guy he was just untouchable because he would because he would just like he would just like juke the socks off you and you could never really touch him and then he would just zoom in from the bushes and like karate chop you into the sun and then he would just disappear again and you just you just could not touch him mm-hmm. um so I think. I think armies like Harlequins and GSC, I do think they need to exist. You know, obviously yeah. we need to like we have the data to know when they're operating outside the power band, but I think there should be those armies that reward you. Um it's hard to it's hard to walk that line of mm-hmm. avoiding negative player experience, but also rewarding um someone who gets hundreds of games, if not thousands of games with that that faction. But I do think that type of army needs to exist, at least in a small amount. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um,
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't think the meta is going to look very different outside of Dark Angels Terminator Block approaches dropping and Iron Hands absorbing most of the vacuum left behind by that by any representation drop in Dark Angels.
0: I think. um, I think Dark Angels will still podium a lot. I think what's going to what we're going to. I think what it depends on is just how how bad the abandonment is. Um, if people abandon them in droves, then it will drive the win rate down and then the mm-hmm. uh, the overrep and stuff like that. But if people don't overreact and they're like, oh, Ravenwing is still really good or Mixed, mixed Lists are still really good um, and people don't overreact, I think we'll still see them podium. The thing is, is that that first month after a data slate, that's when all the overreactions happen. And yep. then, you see, then you see, like, certain armies, they creep back up again as people realize that, like, oh, we overreacted. This is still really strong. But with two months left in the edition, we may not, we may not ever see, like, that that rise out of the valley. Yeah, I think Who it's knows. just over. Yeah. Um,
1: I am stuttering a little bit. Give me one sec. Let me try to okay. fix this video. I'll walk through, through,
0: the, I'll walk through the final stuff. Jakari uh, got... Uh, The Corky were back on Kronos and Talos. It's fine with me. I think that's going to be a a good, solid, like, A-tier type army. Um, I don't think it's going to set the world on fire. I think that nerf has kind of run its course, um, just where the game is now versus when that was implemented. Uh, Talos Talos are cool. I never liked Kronos that much, but Talos are cool. Um, Nids. um, I'm not a big Nid guy, so I don't don't really know what a lot of this means, but um, a lot of these nerfs walked back and it's good because i think the the nid nerfs were a public execution and i think gw overreacted a little bit um based on public sentiment with the nid nerfs so i'm glad they get to play with some of the toys again especially the uh the adapters uh that was pretty cool what else towel uh broadside's got core i know some people are excited about that um uh i don't think it's gonna make a big impact because broadsides are slow and i think they compete with um with the crisis suits for buffs but you know they get some ethereal buffs stuff like that and they're it's an expensive kit and they're and they're cool looking models too so i'm glad people get can bring them again without feeling like they're throwing or something like that and it looks like that is about it for the FAQ stuff. Cliff, you back? You good? I'm back. All right. Yeah. I just walked through the final stuff. Uh the NIDS, yeah, NIDS yeah, got some of the never walked back, which is good. Um Tao, I think I don't think broadsides is gonna shake up the meta, but right. um you should you should be able to play with your toys. Uh, and I think yeah. broadsides are cool, so. I don't think they're amazing but i think they're good enough where you could like bring like one or two like msu and you know and and they'll and they'll do some work for you um and then uh yeah that was it anything i missed no that's it the knits uh i don't know i mean next couple months the the
1: problem with them is that everything's so expensive now but it's nice that they like walked back a bunch of stuff
0: yeah, they have the they have the Votan list, uh the Votan issues where just a lot of their stuff just has way too many rules, and then now because of it, they just have to like point them so much, and it feels like you're playing a skirmish game versus playing a a uh, a war game. All right, what is next on our agenda? Got the data slate, we got death watch. Oh man. Yeah, talk to me a little bit. Uh, talk about your your death watch some more. Where do you think you're going to go with I that? I don't
1: know. <laughs> it's tough because so here's my thing, and we've talked a little bit about this.
0: There's this core. Oh, um, sorry, Grant. I missed that. The uh, custodians. There, I'll I'll touch on that real quick. Um, oh yeah, yeah. That you can't you can't stack this strats on. I think I think that falls in the same camp, kind of as the um, the death wing spam thing. It was just not a yeah. fun list to play against. Um. Yeah. So you could shove 10 wardens up the board and
1: say, like, can you kill this with your whole army? Yes, no. Often the
0: answer was no. Yeah. Um, or can you can you if you can, can you can you do it while mitigating the interrupt? So that was right. that was rough. Um, I think uh, we just yeah. see like MSU lists, um, which is fine. I've seen a couple of, like MSU Way second time lists. I I like the custodians MSU list. Um, it plays the Warhammer real well, so yeah. That's cool. Dreadless is still good. Very good. are still good. Yeah. Cool. Anyhow, sorry about that. Back to your Death Watch.
1: No, no, you're right. It's a good, good call. So, man, I don't know. It's difficult. I think you nailed it with the, like, the Desolation Squad counterplay. Like, it just plays into the buffs that um, Death Watch can place across such a wide swath of their units. I think the challenge is that there's still no... One, I think for sure, the stereotypical approach of these three hundred plus point giant units for close combat is just like not the move. Like you're not, you're not going to win more than a couple of games in the current meta. um, If you're equally, if you are equal skill with your opponent, you might win three. If you're better than your opponents, you're probably not going to win four, even if you are better. um, In a five event, five five round event. which makes me think that, like, you really got to focus on scoring and like interrupting and just sort of like messing with primary. And Death Watch do you have the ability to do that pretty well. So I've got this core. It is a chaplain on a bike, a Watchmaster uh, with nowhere to hide, ignore cover aura, Tomb of vector Clades for pick a data sheet and reroll all wounds against it for everybody, which is awesome. Um, spectra skill team and that's where you like combine eliminators and infiltrators into the same unit and they benefit from each other's rules so you can get like you know four eliminators with a helix adept so you're blanking the first failed save you get plus one to your cover save so you're one up in cover um with eliminators who are shooting damage three like last cannons that's cool that is cute uh and on the other end you've got this other like you know Three, two. Again, one up save and cover, uh, infiltrator squad that can do random things. Um, some people flex out one eliminator for a uh, another infiltrator. Um or you can like throw in some other some other unit in there um, for random like D3 against charging, D3 Mortal Wounds against charging and stuff like that. You can get a little bit cute. But the main thing is that it gives you like two. Surprisingly resilient in cover, means of screening out large areas of your board from deep strikes, um, in enemy infiltrators, which is really cool. So that got like that unit's a given, and then you've got like three units of desolators, like either three by five or one by ten and two by five. Um, and then then it's like I don't know where you go, right? Like you go like do you go for to skill team where you slide five outriders and five intercessors in squads so that you get like five obsec outriders um, right. running up the board 20 inches whenever you want or do you go like four outriders plus a dude with a thunder hammer so now you've got like infantry keyword outriders who are still very fast but no longer moving 20 inches guaranteed but there's a hidden thunder hammer in the unit so that's kind of cool
0: um, I do like that I And then, like- or you
1: ignore that and you go with like traditional yeah. death watch veterans with like normal bikes um, and doing the same sort of tricks but with more attacks and slightly more output
0: if you were so, no. I mean it'll depend on your local meta, obviously. I think if you're trying to take yeah. this globally, um, or to a major, because majors usually majors and super majors tend to follow the global meta or what the stats show, which is nice because you can yeah. use your you can use the information from the meta dashboard at stat check mm-hmm. to inform your decision making at the Yeah, exactly, at the major level. It doesn't quite work as well for the... You can infer stuff for it for GTs and RTTs, but you can't, like... It's not a one-for-one. But you can take predictions on what's good or what's going to be good after this balance pass, which to me is Iron Hands, Genius, Seracult, Demons. Yep. Um, I'm sure I'm probably forgetting something. World Eaters. Space wolves, so you got three yep. marines, demons, gsc, and that that feels like a good spot. So your back, your backfield, your backfield feels good, and your backfield is also a great firing base. Mm-hmm. Um and not only that, I think your your scoring got slightly better while Iron Hand scoring got slightly worse, slightly and GSC worse. got slightly, yeah. I'm talking about very slight, but you know, like mm-hmm. hey, they got five percent worse, you got five percent better. Maybe that's enough to kind of massage it a little bit in your favor. Um, I think, versus Ironhand specifically, you can win the indirect war. Yeah. I think against GSC, I think you can chew up, if not delete, anything that's on the board, which is a rough spot to start For from, sure. With Gene circled Face Wolves, um, you can chew them up pretty good. Um, I think they, they want to be aggressive into you, and I think this forces them to be more aggressive, but it also really puts the pressure on them to quickly stage and then connect within two, within a battle round or two, which means they're going to have to take some risks, go for some of mm-hmm. they don't want to. Um, so that kind of actually puts you in a better spot. Uh, I think you just seed the board a little bit, and then you put yeah. the pressure on them and force them to take riskier plays, and if those plays don't work out, you can then capitalize on that. Demons run a lot of similar data sheets. So Tome of Ectoclades is extremely scary in addition to like being able to just pick a unit and just get real ones to wound against it. So I think you should actually be in a good spot there just because of the way your army works versus how demon lists are usually constructed. Um, and then world eaters, you can definitely apply the pressure on them with shooting and, um, so it feels like it feels like your backfield and your shooting uh, is taken care of. It feels like your support characters is taken care of. It feels like now what you need is you need uh, a way to either challenge their space and then also make them respect yours, right? Because you have you have good deep strike denial, which is great against GSC and demons. And you have great shooting, mm-hmm. and you have ju- you have just enough shooting where you can kind of win the indirect war against Iron Iron Hands, and then slowly attrition, and maybe. You, know, you can zone out their, their drop pod too. And if you if you kill Iron Hands Desolators and zone out the drop pod and then mitigate the the dreadnought, like now you have a gate. Yeah. Um, so I think I think now what you need to do is honestly, I would I would love to see maybe a Judicar go into your list mm. and then two combat units. And what that lets you do is when space wolves or world eaters push into you now you can tap the judicar put a combat unit into that you're player. gonna fight
1: last this is here fight last
0: way. but what that lets you do it's like it's kind of like Krabaga, where you're always defending and counter-attacking at the same time that's generally mm-hmm. what you want to do so you want to be able to um defend against that melee push into you while at the same time challenge their space with your melee unit while you're shooting and scoring and zoning out your backfield from these peripheral units i think now you have a game so that's what i would look at that sounds that sounds right to me
1: i think so then it turns into like there's the ability to throw out a pretty like uh to grant's point a pretty thick unit mid board so you could go with the um that like gravis armored squad you're, like, slamming five um, heavy intercessors alongside five of the, I forget the name of them now, dudes with two power fists and a bunch of bolters. Um,
0: uh, the aggressors.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so you have, like, these ten toughness five three-wound bodies with the appropriate character support. Let's say you've got an apothecary. Um, you've got the, judici- the judiciary, Maybe you've got a captain that you're taking as another close combat threat, and he's carrying the... Um, the five, the dominus ages for a five up invulnerable saving in an aura. It's potentially possible to like use him to extend aura range back to that unit. So it's got a five up in it's T5, it's three wounds, it's sitting there in mid. Um, it's got a six up field, no pain. My two or,
0: my two initial concerns on that is that Wolfen and Eight Bound wound you on twos and do flat three damage.
1: Yeah, they will and smash
0: through that. Unit. And you're and you're slow. Yeah yep um and like I said Grant says you're, you're paying a little bit of a tax to get like you're get you're trying to get a few data sheets you'd like but you're taking a lot of data sheets you don't I did like the idea of the outriders you had yeah that's a cool idea yeah. I like that the um
1: Ennis talked a bit about this though so here's the here's the thing about the outriders I'm, I'm not sure which one of these is the appropriate answer I think it just might be a taste thing so that's a very cheap unit um, and it throws out a lot of strength for AP one potentially ap2 if you want it to be attacks um t5 four wounds each moves real fast like great bases are huge uh, all that all that good stuff And you can make the move as infantry so like a lot of that wrap around stuff um having to move around uh terrain and obstacles goes away awesome that's that's a, um, a huge deal it's a huge deal Uh, On the other end, you're stuck with these like groups of five intercessors or four intercessors and one outrider. Back, you're like, what do I do with this thing? Like, goes for points, but then it just dies. Like, it's like a lot of lot of points to spend on a unit without a very clear role. His recommended approach, and he threw like a list out in the Discord, was like just treat veteran squads the way that you're treating the outrider plus intercessors. Uh, but use the Death Watch veterans as like pseudo-Devastators. So then you go like five Death Watch vets, four of them have um, Frag Cannons, or maybe if you if you pick the Heavy Vulture plus Heavy Flame or Combo Weapon and use of Vectoclades to completely blow something up on a drop pod turn. You take three of those units, um, which gives you like three by five or two of those units and two by 5 mini midi-Devastator squads, and then you just slam bikes into them. They're normal bikes, but... You can, like, give them all power weapons, and they do the same thing. They're bikes with OPSEC that you can put an infantry model in uh, so they gain the infantry keyword. But they're not as durable um, and don't have the same volume of attacks, but they're higher quality. Then they're a little bit more expensive on a per unit basis.
0: That I mean, that sounds good to me. Uh, you just yeah. need to... You just need to keep them safe. You just need to make sure they don't get charged or indirected. Which I think right. most opponents are not going to try to indirect that unit. I think they would try to indirect your desolators, or they try to indirect like your scoring. Because, um, like I said, I think I think the situation you're going to run into the situation, especially versus space Wolves and world eaters, or any other kind of like melee army, is where you've you've done a lot of damage to shooting. But you're gonna have that one turn where you need to get an entire battle round worth of damage, which means shooting mm-hmm. and melee, and any peripheral damage like um, uh, like the uh, whatever that like strats mortals during the charge phase, psychic, yep. whatever, whatever have you, any of that kind of peripheral stuff. And You're gonna to need to dig deep and pull everything. And usually, like I've seen it a bunch of times that it usually involves shooting with all the buffs, all the strats, uh, and they have they have something that's up in your face and in your grill. You need to deal with it, but you don't want to take resources away from that's going downrange, you know, Um, because if you spend all your resources to deal with whatever's on your front doorstep, that lets everything else in your opponent's army stage up on you for free. And then you just at that point, you're just constantly on your back foot and you never really get the hand on the steering wheel of the game ever again. Um, And that's why I said I like the fight last because you can shoot. You can shoot um, on their side of the table you know, pick up their scoring units, pick up the stuff they're trying to stage. You can missile off one of your combat units and mm-hmm. then you fight last their unit and then you put uh, um, another combat unit into it. And then they can't, they're just getting shot and they can't really interrupt because you fight with the far field unit first, then you fight with the other unit. And then at that point, either they have nothing to swing with or they nothing's worth interrupting with. Um, and at that point generally that p- should put you in a in a pretty good spot in the game i'm into it cool. i have a plan i have a plan for this final 1000 to 800 points. yeah it's just, just going to be it's just going to be kind of like what do those what do those units look like and where do you spend the points i'm excited to see yeah. what you come up with cool so, what next awesome well really what's next
1: tim is your article that you produced on the yes. website which is like a great primer for folks to be able to like you know play a game come away with it get some lessons learned love to hear love to hear about it
0: i saw a lot of people asking questions in uh in our uh, x1 uh, question locker about this so we can definitely mm-hmm. kind of like roll into it a little bit let me find the link for it boom there we go um yeah this was um it was inspired by Innis. Innis's article, um, and this is back when we were in Biff Pod, like you know, years ago. And I just had this idea that kind of that kind of came to me, and I was like, "Man, Innis is probably one of the best people in the world at explaining 40k, um, but he's also very good at tailoring his explanations like where you are, as as a as a student, as a player, or whatever." Um, so I knew he was the right person to ask. And I said, "Hey, I have this idea." um and again because i used to be super competitive into league of legends i don't recommend anyone plays that game it's super toxic but it's kind of cool to see <laughs> i am noticing a lot of parallels behind. i'm noticing a lot of parallels behind where the 40k community was five years ago and like the steps it's taking it's growing league of legends went through like the same kind of thing and now commentary and punditry about the game league of legends is very like high level and it's very everything's very codified there's a lot of concepts and terms that are like man they've i've, I've i took a couple looks into articles everything to see where it's at and it's crazy like the level of detail and the nuance they've gotten into it so i think we mm-hmm. might see that in 40k in a few years uh, as it gets very sophisticated but tangent i remember seeing an article where Base said hey based on your this guy was like a challenger level. And he was like, hey, po- he posted a Reddit thread. He said, hey, tell me what league you're in. There's like seven something different leagues or like something like that or like levels. And then each of those are stratified into five different levels. So you have like diamond mm-hmm. one or you'll have like bronze three or something like that. He's like, po- he's like post where you're at and I'll post you what mechanics, strategy and tactics you probably need to be working on to get to the next level. And it was a very popular thread. I wish I could find it, but this was like eight years ago. And so I posted it. I took, I basically told him this cause I knew this was familiar with the game. I said, Hey, this is the idea I have. Um, this guy did this. Do you think that's a thing you can do for 40 K? I think you're probably the best person who would like understand like the assignment, the concept. And he's like, yeah, I, at that time he was more focused on teams than singles play. Um, but he thought about it pretty much. He's, he's thought about it all night. He slept on it. And then a day or two later, he came out with that article. Um, And then this, you know, three, what, three years later, he redid the article for stat check, so he, he, he inspired me, he inspired me to, to write an article and I am trying as much as I can to not get hyper into specifics of ninth edition mechanics or like edition mechanics, because I want something that's Mm -hmm. going to be evergreen going into 10th edition. So I have at least five or six more articles planned over the next Love two it. months
1: so what are like the sort of two big takeaways from
0: your article which viewers you can find at stat-check.com in articles uh yep and i also i was link, also linked it um i kind of hinted at the topic for the next article which is basically going to be um, all about challenging your opponent's space um you're taking your your movement plus your um, shooting range or your movement plus your charge range and you don't you don't try to actually get your opponent's army in your threat range you try to get objectives in your threat range and the idea that we've talked about a lot in 40k a lot of people talk about it, is they talk about trading well most people hear about trading they think of I trade this unit for this unit or I trade this character for this character um everything. As soon as your models like look at each other, everything's a trade. Uh, take CP, take command face buffs, take spells, take any kind of other resources like Warp Storm or whatever, um, Marker Lights, all that kind of stuff. Even individual wounds off characters or multiple models. If you give away or use any of that, To do anything that's a trade Mm -hmm. if i lose a wound if i lose a single wound off like if i step over a haywire mine and i take a single mortal wound on a character to move 10 inches up the board that's a trade and that's a concept that i think um people may not come around to for a couple years but that is generally the thing you need to um when your opponent gets low in resources, you need to be moving close. You should be moving close to your opponent almost always. But when you are when your opponent's getting low on resources, you need to be a little more aggressive with your posture, moving to a little more because they are starting to trade down and they're losing the abilities to punish you for moving close to them. Also, mm-hmm. generally, I hinted at this uh an episode or two ago, but the way people play mentally, I generally don't like to play. I mean, there's situations where you should say okay well your unit's threat range is 26 inches i'm 26.1 i'm physically unchargeable yeah i like to and i think this is a good thing to get in a habit to play and play a couple inches inside their threat range and that way you you tax them mentally um of trying to decide of if they should go for it now that it's physically possible um and then also they have to now start thinking about the risk reward of going for a 10 inch charge or a nine inch charge and potentially failing. Um, but the, the article itself, just real simple, um, have a training plan, uh, knowing about intent versus execution. Uh, so that'd be like strategy versus tactics, um, taking notes, on what you're doing, setting achievable goals, and most importantly, focus on one concept at a time and then just keep practicing it until it's muscle memory and then try to move on to the next thing. I love it. So real high, that, real yeah, generic stuff.
1: That board presence thing is such a, so I remember when I was trying to figure out what to bring to LBO, I knew I was like so, soft throwing by Brandon Castell in the first place, but it was like, right. What other big knights should I bring? Cause I want to bring at least two, uh, and like in the chat types is like, oh, bring an errant. don't bring a Paladin. Cause an errant will let you advance and charge with armatures. I was just like, oh, oh, right there's this one cp strap to auto advance nine inches or eight inches with an armature chassis which means that i've got like a 22 plus insert charge range threat range and that's like at every table i was at letting some like at the outset letting people know like hey this is the baseline threat range for any one of these models was like oh oh like on their end that's now something those are like risk calculations they now have to make for the rest of the game and that like gets taxing over time and just seeing a model go like flying across Mm. the board and then charging onto an objective and then like consolidating onto it like it was a whole this whole thing so one shout out to typhus because he's really smart and that was like great advice uh to a noob like me uh and two it really just reinforced what you said about the like how important spacing and board presence can be
0: yep uh, my, I haven't quite figured out my next article, but it's generally going to be something about that. It's going to be um, more... I'm going to be talking more about challenging your opponent's space and then playing kind of at the edges of the threat range versus playing 0.1 inches outside of the threat range. It's going to be more like dancing just mm-hmm. within the threat range. Um, and then also um, retaliation trading. Um, or as commonly as it started... The term we're starting – there was never really a term for it like two years ago, but now the term we're starting to hear is clap back. We hear that often. That's a real concept. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but that's, a, that's a retaliation trade because you usually – that usually comes when you start a trade and then they clap back. That's retaliation trade. Um, and then that's usually when the game begins like in earnest. So I'll, that's probably what the next article will be. And that's something I don't see going away in 10th edition. Yeah.
1: Yep. If anything, that's probably gonna get a little more. It's so far, which is like really great. I think uh, on Games Workshop's part, they really do seem to be moving purposefully away from like intricate mechanical knowledge being the be-all and all, more towards like here's just the rule. It's very straightforward. Here's the how. Here's the when. Here's the why. Here's the what. Um, and then given that information which is now more easily accessible to everybody it's on you the player to figure out like what do you want to do with your models how do you want to risk them how are you can move them in space um so i think that all that to say is that i think that what you're reinforcing here is like going to be very easily translatable and probably even more important in 10th than it has been at ninth
0: yeah there'll be certain things that like i think that's a big the big goal of mine is like there's a lot of things i want things i won't when people read these articles, be like, oh yeah, I've experienced that, or I've seen that, or I felt that, like yeah. kind of like in my gut. But they didn't. I didn't realize there was a term for it. I didn't realize, you know, like they'll have those games where like something felt right and they couldn't quite grasp it, you know, or something felt off they couldn't quite grasp it, and they'll go back and be like, oh, that's what it is. Um, so yeah, but yeah, the big thing is just um, if you make a if you make the right play, you know, if you make the right play, but you execute poorly that's something you can work on but if you're constantly making incorrect plays and you're just getting bailed out by luck or by dice or something like that that's going to catch up to you in the long run and over especially over several games uh and it's going to lead to really unreliable results especially at events
1: oh my god i have a i have a sports analogy that's very timely related to this so like go go all right so um if anyone watches basketball Playoffs are on. The Lakers game was on last night. Lakers are playing the Grizzlies. Anthony Davis is a very physically and athletically talented player. I've also never really watched him play a full game. Like, I just, like, don't usually watch a regular season. And he's, he's been in L.A. I don't really catch it. Anyway, he, I, it's clear to me that no one taught him how to operate in the pick and roll, right? Like, he doesn't know how to set He doesn't know how to set a screen. He doesn't know how to roll off of it. He doesn't know how to, like, hedge his defender to make it easier for the roll, the person with the ball to choose one of three options like he's just he sucks and as a result he like was basically gumming up the lane and like blocking his the person he was setting ball screens for the entire game uh and had a terrible game as a result like any reasonable big man who's like been trained in the last 10 years should know how to do that really well My guess is that he's like so physically talented that he never got that sort of sit down basic practice Um, and nobody reinforced it to him because he didn't need to learn it. And now they're in the playoffs in the first round playing a hungry Grizzlies team and missing the basics, likely cost them the game. Like he had a terrible game. Uh, All because, you know, he could not execute on a very straightforward foundational skill for people in his position uh, in the pros so and when you're a physical that's player, my one sports analogy for the night I will stop no
0: there. it makes it makes sense i mean um i would say like kind of anyone who's not really like into basketball i would say like that's kind of if you've ever set up a go turn and you meticulously play out a go turn and you're charging with like five, four or five different units and then you accidentally move block one of your units with the charge Whoops. And you can't even declare a charge or something like that. that's that's basically if you don't know how to set a pick and you're going up lanes it's basically the same thing but a basketball um but yeah when you're when your physicality goes down uh with age in pro sports, yeah, you're if you don't have good fundamentals that'll show. And I think kind of. to to bring it back to 40k, I would say like uh if you're playing a multi round, like five, six, nine round event, um, and you don't have the fundamentals, um when your dice start to fail you or when your fatigue starts to creep in, I think you'll be exposed. Yep. So you got to, uh, winning a big event, there's always a little bit of luck involved. But if you don't have good fundamentals, like you're just kind of uh, your your performance is going to be very volatile. Not just from game to game, but I'm talking about like from turn to turn, phase to phase, you know. That was good. Uh, what else we got? Oh, brief little blurb. Uh, general mental state purchasing guidelines for lame duck edition. We were just kind of oh, spitballing man. stuff to talk about. But my, yeah. I know a lot of people were talking about like, oh, I'm not buying anything or I'm going to do this or do that. I think, I think a good thing is to like know like what your goals are, hobby wise, game wise, whatever. Um, don't, uh trying to think of the best way to this. <laughs> <laughs> if you have, if you have a big major or super major coming up, I guess in the next two months, nothing we say is going to stop you anyhow. You probably aren't listening to us for advice anyways, but um, yeah. if, you're, if you're trying to go for a golden ticket and money's no object or whatever, like sure, beg, borrow, steal an Iron Hands army or something like that, or 30 Death or whatever you got to do. Um, but I would avoid... Like I said, if you if you want to spend a bunch of money and 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 MetaHop or adjust or roll with this uh this last uh, balance pass, like by all means, you're you know we're all consenting adults. Go do do, do what you want to do. Um, but a lot of people are saying, a lot of people are going like lockdown mode. They're like, oh, I'm not buying anything until 10th The blah, blah blah blah. I'm like, well, guess what? When the when we finally get all the rules. And Art of War puts out like their first hot takes article where Manny <laughs> Chima shows up to a GT 36 hours after 10th edition launches, you know, like he, that, that man is the canary in the coal mine for what's broken. So yeah. guess what? Someone in a high level of the community is going to figure out what's good within 48 hours of, um, it coming. And then everyone's going to try to hop on that. And guess what? Yeah, it's sell out immediately. Unless, unless you're in like the DMS of like one of those people, you know, on the regular, by the time you figure out it's good you already can't get it so anyway. there's a lot of people offloading armies right now um myself included I've been offloading Marines because I'm just trying to like free up hobby space I'm being like realistic I'm like look I don't have time to hobby this I don't have time to get reps with this stuff like that there are good deals out there probably not dust layers because as people have been figuring out the price has been going up but there's a lot of good deals on a lot of armies out there there's also a lot of people that are gonna be overreacting based on the last status slate. Um. Yeah. So if you're trying to flush out an army or if you're trying to hedge your bets on like, hey, I have no guarantee that this is going to be good. 6 months in the 10th edition, but it might. I'm not buying 3 of the units, I'm just buying one or two. Not a big deal if it's not good. I'm sure it'll be good sometime in the next 3 years, whatever. There's a lot of good deals out there to be had right now. Um if you like search like to use mini market or stuff like that. So if you see a good deal, or you see like a star collecting that's hard to come by or a control patrol that's hard to come by or something like that or your local game store is running a special don't let the new edition um scare you into passing up a good, what's obviously a good deal mm-hmm. so and you can always you can always sell the minis if you if you really feel you made a mistake that's that's fine the the used market is always strong. so that was, that's that's yeah. all that's that was that was the spiel i wanted to put out there Cool. You want to yeah. uh, roll into questions? You got anything to add on to that? Uh,
1: no. I mean, like, there's, like, basic stuff. Like, fast, fast shooting is probably going to still be good. Uh, transports appear to be much improved. Like, if you've been really itching to hobby up a land raider, not a terrible idea to try to pick one up on the cheap now. Um, they're super fun. But like who knows how they'll be cost blah blah blah. But you know, assault ramp is a cool rule. Um, slamming terminators out of assault ramp and then charging after it moved is really nice. GW uh, Instagram
0: showed a picture of Primaris Marines coming out of a drop pod.
1: That's very so cool.
0: If I don't I don't know anything really about 10th edition rules, so I'm just no disclaimer, I don't have insider knowledge here. But if they if firstborn and primaris transports and passengers like now do this you functionally have double as many transports as you do now. So I mean there's there's play there. Um Exactly. They definitely we still don't have a flying jump pack combat unit for Primaris, but it, we almost have every other battlefield role covered for Primaris Marines. So Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of oh, those new Terminators look so cool. They do. They look yeah, they're great.
1: Um uh, Yeah. My non-40K associated uh, hobby purchases are going to be locked into Lizardman in the new Seraphon releases, so that's going to be my my like new toys over the next couple months. Hell yeah. It's
0: going to be good. Let's roll into questions. Man, questions. The, when was... Damn, three, three weeks ago, so I think that was... That's <laughs>
1: Carry the
0: one. Basically, yeah. Basically, anything after March thirtieth. I think this is great. Oh, this man, has so many questions. If I miss anyone, I I am so sorry. I apologize. We will we will try to get to everyone. We try to we try to push through all the other stuff we <laughs> today, so we have more time for questions. Also, if you have any questions and you're live in the stream, but please 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 post it, and then we will get to it. Yep. Uh, I think I almost found it. Cool. Uh, so starting with Mick Warp. Watched the last episode today. Really liked the matchup review section. Had a question. What do you do when the trends for the matchup contradict your own experience? Hmm. That's a good one. Um, I will say it will... My answer to that question will likely depend on the size of the event I'm going to. Um, if I'm playing a GT, like in my own... Like in my own, um, my own home meta or an RTT then I will probably cleave to my own experience um, because my own experience, probably if if I'm having bad matchups, if I'm finding I'm struggling into, into armies I should be having good matchups into or vice versa, chances are it's probably in practice versus my teammates or my local regulars or stuff like that, which means that now... It means it's now more like it's, it's a... Familiarity and skill is kind of short, is kind of like narrowing the gap um, versus factions. So it means that those are probably the matchups I need to be practicing for. Are, you know, it's kind of like if you go to a GT and you're like, okay, well, I know this person, this person, this person is in attendance. You need to know how your faction plays into their faction, obviously, but knowing how you how you as a player play into that and how them as a player play is and then the your two relative skill levels is probably more valuable there. I would say in a major I would probably I would probably go to the stats unless I knew that um, the stats don't match up because of my own experience because of something the stats don't show. Like for mm-hmm. example um demons Demons, when you go to the meta dashboard, it doesn't show big boy time, it doesn't show pure Zinch, it doesn't show player it just shows Demons. And it says their matchups are good into this, okay into this, bad into this. Um, but it doesn't show which archetypes those are. So that's where you need to like then defer to your own experience be like, okay, well, I am running pure Zinch or I am running pure Sinesh and I know it's good good into this list because X or bad into this list because Y. So that's probably where I would deviate if that makes sense what about you cliff what do you think no nah, i got nothing i mean it was just like
1: broadly even something that's like 60 40 according to stats like 40 percent chance to win a game is like pretty good it's not the worst okay. um and i you know get, the macro any given sunday yeah exactly like we look at something like 60 percent, we say like man that is really high and in the aggregate it is it's obviously indicative of some sort of um, macro trend imbalance, but like within the confines of a specific game, having a 40% chance to win in an unfavored matchup is still like pretty high in favorability. Like it's it's, it's pretty good.
0: Uh, from Nate Hintz, uh, listening to the Death Watch, uh, this space episode, you mentioned watching how your opponent responds to your <laughs> models, i.e. seeing how they respond to your aggression or defensiveness, et cetera. Can you flesh that out further? What impact does the response have on your gameplay if they meet in the middle, what does that change compared to they pull back to that, et cetera. Uh, so we've, we touched on this a little bit. They um, like said a lot of it is, um, the concept of challenging your opponent's space. And then that's generally the way I'm trying to think of how I explain this. If the best way to explain it, I guess, would be to show how I gauge it. So I basically start, if I know nothing else about the player, um, if I am familiar with the matchup and I'm expecting them to pick certain secondaries, um, I first look to see if they deviate from those secondaries. Um, and then that can mean two things. That could either mean that they just don't know the matchup and they've misread it, or it could mean that they're risk averse, or it could be that they're whatever the opposite of risk averse is. Like they're, they're risky. I don't know. Maybe Cliff is better with words than I am, so maybe he would know. Um, <laughs> but you can. You can tell a little bit about how risk averse a person is if they know the matchup and they cleave on secondaries in a way you don't expect. Um, versus, mm-hmm. like, for if you're playing Thousand Suns and they took, they took like assassinate, engage all fronts, and abhor, you're kind of like, okay, this guy is not risk averse at all, you know? Um, that means that he's more likely to go for like long charges because he just doesn't care about falling flat in his face. He's going to just send it you know constantly without any regards to like he's to him failure is like not even a thing that happens um then when you start the game you watch how they deploy um how aggro aggressive they are and then the third and the most telling one is when you you let your opponent know your threat range or they're measuring your threat range and then you move forward and you start challenging their space do they move up to meet you or do they pre-measure and do they pull back? Um, when you have lots of indirect, do they realize that they're on a clock? Um, that they're on an hourglass, and they play, they start playing more aggressively into you, or do they just kind of like s- score what they can and slowly die? Um, that's kind of like I don't Maybe over time of the articles I can maybe expand on more concepts, but that's generally what I'm talking about is when you do certain things or when the certain decisions are available, are they risky or are they risk averse mm-hmm. You can you can see that on the you can see that on the table a lot too, especially when you start challenging yeah. their challenging their space and pushing up into them.
1: You can often see the act like not just the actions on the table, but like what the player is like doing and saying uh, as you're doing it, like I play almost exclusively like big model lists or like scary limited number of threat lists. So a lot of, a lot of my approach to the game is like, here are some problems that you need to solve now. And like, if you don't solve them, then I win. Like, how are you going to handle this? And there's a lot of like, you know, like shove an armature super far across the table, like shit, like literally the other player, like what do I do about this? Um, Or, like, jam a big, like, block of Tyranid monsters across the table. Like, okay, good luck. Like, can you figure out, you know, six Carnifexes or not? Uh, Like, a lot of armies can, but, like, a player who is not necessarily experienced um, might be like, I actually don't know how I'm going to deal with that before next turn and they crash into me. Um, And so you can, it's like a good, it's not just a measure of, like, whether or not they're experienced with their lists but also like how experienced they are with just like being in a sort of uncomfortable situation and playing through it
0: uh i guess follow up right here i'll just show real quick uh it's great explanation can you expand on how that realization about your opponent then affects your gameplay into them um so if my opponent is um if my opponent is risk averse i'm going to start using that like when i talked about like kind of dancing inside someone's threat range so i don't want to bury the lead my next article but the my rule I, I i my my rule that i call it is i call it the rule of fives um and that is if my opponent is can advance charge advance and charge whatever um i assume that anytime they roll a die for movement they're going to roll a five so if my opponent um if my opponent moves six inches and can advance and charge. Their threat range is 24. So what I will, instead of being 24.1 away, I will be 21 inches one away. Cause that assumes they're going to roll five to advance and they're going to stick a 10 inch charge. But the likelihood of them rolling two fives and a six is infinitesimal. You know, the likelihood of them rolling two sixes or three sixes, very small. Um, but it dances right in that area where a risk averse person is not going to go for it. So I can basically every single time I trade board positioning with them, I can kind of cheat them a three inches or two inches or an inch. And I can just try to start snowballing that into, you know, accumulate, I can start accumulating those little inches that I'm cheating off you of here and there into like a real lead either in material on the board or on the scoreboard. Um, you'll hear people say like one of the scariest things is you'll see it like a Lenin, uh, not a body. A lot of them, they've, they've mentioned this on podcasts. One of the scariest things for a high level player is a competent or upper mid-level player who just knows when they just need to try to high roll you they're competent. They're not going to make big mistakes, but they're going to try to use the dice to like narrow the gap of skill. Uh, and so if a person is doing that year, because they recognize that, or because they just don't understand risk at all, like, <laughs> now you can't you can't really leverage that in them because they're just so aggressive. And it's either like they're either just aggressive by design, or they're aggressive on accident. But you are now in a position where you have to respect them high rolling. They don't have to respect the risk of failure because yeah. they're just they're, being like, they're just really being right. aggressive, yeah. you know. And unfortunately, yeah. because. Now you have the, you're eaten from the fruit of forbidden knowledge of respecting threat ranges. Now, the fact that you are thinking critically about threat ranges is now being used against you. Um, So that's a, so that's a thing. So if someone is aggressive, now I have to respect threat ranges more. I can't let them, I can't give them those 10 inch charges because they'll go for it with like four or five units. And like, it'll be just my luck that they'll stick it with four or five units. And then the game will end. Um, whereas if they're risk averse, now I can start dangling units out, you know, dangle out those nine and tens charges, you know, and, and try to. They either just shrink back from that, or they take the risk. And because they know it's a risk, they instead of spending CP over here, maybe they bank some CP for like rerolls or something, or like reroll the charges, or you know, or instead of casting. Or using like some sort of spell or chaplain litany to increase the unit's output or whatever they use it to make to reduce the risk of that risk they're taking. So there's like little small things you can do based off if you can gauge early on in the game how risk averse your opponent is because that's half of the game. Half the game is movement; the other half is your risk your risk threshold and your risk management. Mm -hmm. If that That if that makes sense. If that doesn't make sense, uh, I don't know. I'll try to like I'll try to talk about more in the article, but that's like how I feel about it. Uh, next question, Hmm. You
1: mm-hmm. should remember how many armies to keep up to date with. That was interesting.
0: Um, so if you are willing to meta hop, um, I would say, I would, I would amend my, the answer I gave was nine. I know it sounds crazy, but you'd have to hear my reasoning. i probably would amend <laughs> that. To, I probably would amend that to six and I basically put in three categories, um, the first category is the number of armies you actually are like actively practicing and staying current on. Um, then the second set would be like your armies in the back burner. And then the last one would be armies that are like suit your play style or that you're interested in and that you're familiar with the rules. Um, and you aren't current with, but if someone gave you like a month or two of notice, you would be willing and able to, um, Get those armies up to speed. Get a medalist. Uh, brush up on your rules, and then um, and then get a bunch of reps with. And you, I mean, you want to be at like ninety percentile or ninety fifth percentile, but you can get up to like eighty percent, enough to like win an RTT or go like three two four one or a GT. Um, if one of those armies, if you're somewhat familiar, and one of those armies is just like an insane army, like Iron Hands or Dark Angels, like that's enough for you to win like a GT or go four one or something like that. So you just you just let the Army carry you a little bit and they mm-hmm. learn just enough about the Army where you don't get in the Army's way while it's winning for you., um, yeah. So I put that number on six. Two that you're active, yeah. two on the back burner, two that you could pivot to if you had enough notice. If you're I think if you're looking
1: at it, there's like a pure meta, regardless of meta, what is likely to be okay. And from that perspective, it is in your best interest to own Marines that you have painted in a custom color that you can pivot into whatever Marine chapter you think is most appropriate at the time. Uh, and then to Johnny Watkins' point from YouTube chat, like Craftworld Eldar have been good. They have been competitively viable since like day one and remain so throughout every, just about every edition of this game. So it is yeah. in your best interest. Again, if you want another competitively viable option to like
0: start collecting
1: Craftworld Eldar. And the
0: models are cool. You you have to like the playstyle though, because I I followed that advice and then I played like three games of Craft World when they were at like before they were like before they were nerfed or anything, and I was like, this is this army is not for me, and I I sold and I gave away from it. So that's the thing, like, and that army was also I'm talking about this edition before it was even nerfed or anything. It was not an autopilot army at all. That was a hard army to play. Um, Yeah, any army where you have uh some CSM used to be like this uh it's not so much anymore but any army where you have to um your position of one psyker depends on the position of another psyker and oh. then combat and shooting units depend off both of those you are that's not an army you can walk, I don't care how overpowered they are that's not an army you can just like walk into um no it takes, and, it takes and it, it's a very specific playstyle too and they can have the most busted rules of all time. If you're not into that play style, you're not going to enjoy that army. You're not going to stick with it. You're not going to get reps with it. Um, so I, I've heard the advice thrown out for craft world. I fall on the opposite end of that. Um, borrow it before you buy it. Cause I, I bought into it when I, and I thought I was going to take it to an event. And I thought I was going to like whip up everyone. And I played like five practice games. So I was like, not for me nope
1: <laughs> that's a I yeah i think overarching all of it is like if you don't like the play style of a given faction regardless of how good it is like don't do it like i would never play
0: 45 deathwing terminators
1: like that seems so deeply boring to me yeah uh, that's that a- i could not bring myself to do it but
0: that, that's a good segue into pizza bagels follow-up question how do you approach a game plan hedge risk when playing more variable risky armies think about mm-hmm. armies like great arts or caissons where or win pack rely heavily on like, spells Honestly, um, me personally, I just don't play those armies. Um, we talk a lot about like, you know, Ungabunga and then like Anthony talks a lot about like just kill them and stuff like that. Um I don't like those armies that like sit in like 25% or 49% of the battlefield and then like do a whole bunch of combo stuff and then like score by two points at the end of the game. Um points of failure. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. There's a lot of points of failure, and you can you can you can dilute the game plan of those armies by adding a lot of mitigating factors. But most, usually those armies, at least when they're designed correctly, um, will have some sort of point or stat budget where every single um, tech piece that you take to hedge the inherent riskiness uh, dilutes what those armies do somewhere down the road, either through raw output or mobility or options or something like that. And so if you go full reliable, you end up with like a shadow of what those armies should be. Um sometimes you can find like the optimal way to do it, but it's it's a lot of it's a lot of mental bandwidth, and it's a lot of um it's a lot of mental bandwidth, it's a lot of points of failure, and I've I've generally found that those armies are not resilient to an opponent being disruptive and aggressive unless you massively outskill that opponent. Um so that's, that's kind of my take on it. The, I know a lot of people love Grey Knights and they love Thousand Suns. It's just not for me. Um, also with Psychophase phase going away in 10th edition, like who knows, uh, this might be completely different. I really hope, um, I know a lot of Grey Knights, Thousand Suns players are worried about 10th edition. I've heard, um, from Justin Curtis, who's a big chaos player that he's very excited. About Thousand Suns, and that's probably the faction he's going to start out with in 10th edition. And he says they've really n- nailed the theme. And instead of like an, as- an aspiring sorcerer and Magnus casting the same spells, it's going to be like different abilities and spells based on how powerful you are as a Psyker. And there's going to be a lot of permutations. And he seems very excited about the theme. Um, so a little off topic, but um, if those armies, it's not really my play style but i would say i generally just don't i try to avoid those high risk threshold armies in the first place because then you spend so much time trying to mitigate them and they're they're very vulnerable to disruption maybe in 10th edition that will change and they'll have an armies that give you the psychic feel without like that feels bad when all your your points of failure collapse on you because you're going to have that one turn where just everything goes well you know yep so that's that's generally how i do it is i just don't play those armies (laughs)
1: <laughs> sorry
0: sorry you yeah, know i like i very much like <clears throat> i try to keep my armies to zero to one casters um this this slanesh rust list is the most casters i've ever played and it's two and i just have a foot herald who sits way in the back with delightful agonies the field of pain spell and then i have a chariot that is it's a hell flare with slothful claws three damage and she has a hysterical frenzy and the idea is that she is pure aggressive. Her spell makes other people kill harder, and then she's a unit that can kill people on her own, and then she hands out auras and command phase buffs to help other stuff kill people. So she makes my army hit harder, and if I ever need to trade that away, I can, and I still have delightful agonies slash smite battery slash deny, like, safe in the back. So that's that's generally how I divided that. And I try not to think about the second phase more than that. Because uh, it scares me, and I don't like to read. Um. <laughs> um. You got faction knowledge. You've
1: got you've covered that previously for factions you don't necessarily play against. Yep.
0: What we else? Yeah, we've got the travel the travel rewards bonus episode is coming. That's yeah, kind of, I I am I am slowly turning the screws on Cliff, and sooner or later we're gonna. Yeah. 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 I'm it gonna grab gonna grab
1: some free time. It's gonna be it's gonna be a little while, but it's gonna be a good one. Um
0: and god, there's there is so much shit posting in the question <laughs> oh my there, god. Like, god lovable there's... shit posting but a lot of it there, there is a, a lot, lot oh my god <laughs> okay here we go now how do you increase your faction knowledge for factions you don't play and struggle to get reps against yeah. um i would say first of all take a trip to wadpedia and do that green uh, baby uh also anytime um Assuming they're up to date, they've kind of fallen behind. But Goonhammer used to really do these really good, like, wave top articles on factions, faction playstyles. Or if there was a big um, data slate balance or uh, GT pack, whatever, they would, like, do, like, faction spotlights. Um, those were good. I also think generally, and I'll plug our own Discord, go into go into our Discord and go into like the channel for a faction you're looking to learn about and just kind of lurk in there for for like a week or two or a month. Um, and over time, you're going to hear the same data sheets. You're going to hear the same spells. You're going to hear the same stratagems over and, and the same like sub-factions. You're going to hear all that over and over and over again. If you do that, if you go into BCP and you look at the whatever's putting up podiums and wins, Four one records, five zero records, whatever, and you're basically just trying to look for common trends. Um, and then once you can identify those common trends, you go to Wikipedia and you look for the synergies of those common trends. And once you have the once you have the idea of like what, whatever, most lists the first eighteen hundred points are always the same, and then the final 100, 200 points is like flex. But once you have an idea of what the core 1800 point core of like a a winning list is and what people are buzzing about or hyped on or whatever and you could see why they they feel that way and you can see the synergy you're well on your way at that point i don't i don't like watching streams because it's just hard for me to watch sit there for three hours and watch other people move models around but click through a stream or two with that knowledge in your head and kind of like watch it on the table a little bit and i think at that point, you're miles ahead of where you started.
1: Yeah. One one of the things that I do, this is a shout out to uh, Adam C. over at Outer War Down Under. Uh, he does a really good job with sort of Codex-level rundowns. Like, there's the typical, like, man reads Codex YouTube preview. Uh, and Outer War Down Under really takes that alongside a Faction specialist and they dive through, like, the Codex, what is it, what matters inside it, And then in part two, which you should totally sign up for, um, they get into like actual dives investigating some of the initial impressions about what synergies there are and what combos are available and sort of like what that particular faction operates well against uh, or what it's susceptible to. So that's like a good, if you're like an audio learning person, um, it's a really good first step to just like throw on, get a little bit of learning and then like, Commit to the learning path that Tim just described. That'll put you in a pretty good spot even if you're not playing uh playing the facts yourself or running into it. And I am choppy again.
0: It's all right. Uh reload. No, I can I can hear you fine. Uh your video's a little all right, choppy. Cool. Uh so from Grant H, how do you self-identify as a player and how does that affect your approach to games, winning, losing? Essentially the combo from April 12th and Hot Takedown. Hot Takedown has had like 6,000 messages between now and 4.12. So I'm not going to look back on it, but he said, <laughs> how do you define competitive What definition of competitive look like in the context of 40 K? Um, yeah. So it's a very, it's a very open ended question because um, what there's not like a chart I can pull up and be like, Oh, why well, <laughs> there's everyone. If I told people that there's a chart for competitive, that chart is going to look different for everyone. And then also, even if, even if like my chart has five words on it and Cliff's chart has five words, our individual definitions for those words may be different. Um, I would say the best way to look at it is whatever it is you're working towards, what does success in that look for in your mind? And then I guess, um, And I guess like also because because if you can define that now, you know, um, what makes you content, what makes you happy. And then also, I would say just for a mental health perspective, are you enjoying the path to get closer to that end goal? Um, I would say you need to know those two things, know what your end goal is, but then also are you enjoying the journey? And if you're not like what needs to change? um mm-hmm. that's 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 very much a non-answer but um i don't really i don't really know what my end game for success looks like personally um i would guess i hope that like when i when i pass away that like i don't get like six thousand points of warhammer models just thrown to the trash by my next of kin <laughs> i don't <laughs> um <laughs> i i i do enjoy i feel like I feel like thinking about the game and playing the game like kind of keeps me sharp, I guess, in some ways. Um, I enjoy seeking out challenges and then rising to those challenges and then beating them, um, and then maybe even revisiting them, and then moving on to the next challenge. And I've also really enjoyed—I've um, really enjoyed people that I used to locally that I used to bounce off of now i can hang with them some of them i've surpassed but even then we play enough against each other and we're all trying to build each other up that i never really stay out in front of them for too long um and it's it's very much a steel sharpened steel situation but that's but that's me uh it could be a lot of things for a lot of different people
1: yeah that's good i think i think if you're going to an event and you are trying to win and your goal is to win that event then you're like it's probably safe to describe you as a competitive player uh and that's totally okay i would describe myself as a i don't know which way to order these words either casual competitive or competitive casual in that i'm trying to do as well as i can with the list that i have brought uh knowing that like during list construction a decent part of my approach to building out the list and even what faction i choose is rooted in like which of these models makes me happy <laughs> when, I, when I'm putting them on the table, when I'm hobbying them, like that sort of thing. Um, that said, my like overall goal with most games, like not just 40K, but like sports, video games, etc., is to not lose and instead get beat, right? So like I absolutely despise losing a game because I like messed up like that's the worst but i have no problem getting beat by someone who is more skilled than me at the game assuming that i tried like it was like i did my best and that person just like outplayed me. um like i've like like i live for that like that feels good because it usually presents learning opportunity for me um and if i can really look at what i did and, and see that i did as well as i possibly could then i feel good coming out of that and if along the way that wins some rtt is great um and like you know hopefully down the line as uh, as time allows, and I get better, um, hopefully more event wins or more wins in larger events uh, come along with that.
0: Yeah, it's always a little it's always a little sweeter uh, for both sides when the uh, when the victory when the person had to work for it a little bit. Um, yeah, versus when you know either there's a wild skill or faction power disparity or it's like some crazy dice happen or whatever. Term one of the Mm -hmm. game, and I know, I know a lot of high level players say don't blame the dice, but what they don't they say that because blaming the dice it's a good mindset to have, um, but once you get to a certain point, there dicing does happen. I've I've seen it happen. I've seen (laughs) I've seen I've seen the high level players who go on the podcast say don't complain about dice. I've seen them get dice and complain about behind closed doors, but they've also (laughs) they've also learned that. 99% 99% of people complained about dice when it wasn't dice. They just made mistakes, but there is that one, that 0.1% of the time where like it legitimately was dice. You know, like you, you're, you've been playing a neck and neck game. Um, and you know, the game is close and then it's the final push and your custodian opponent goes like 34 out of 35 on four ups. Oh God. The four up save. Yeah. It's so it's, it's a total thing and then like but you just have those situations where like it was just such a blowout like at a certain point in the game that the rest of the game becomes performative uh and you don't want to be a bad sport you know but versus like when you have those really close games and there's like a round and a half left and you both sit there and you look at the scoreboard and you try to work out like okay well these are the assets left on the board this is what i have to ignore this is what i gotta do to try to like get those last couple points and if i hit this charge and i kill three out of five dudes i'll win by one point because like thin the ranks and engage in all fronts or some other that. example it doesn't matter and then you both do it and you're kind of like uh will he won't he you know and you make the charge you're like oh you know like those those games always feel better when it kind of comes to that uh from uh raphael harbinson i apologize if i mispronounced that um less a question more an observation i fall in the bucket of people that basically only plays at events um with maybe a practice game of a couple months the way i found to have relative success is to not try to play the metagame but use my free time to think of ways to counter it and focus on armies that play roughly in that way over time experience with it builds up by this i mean i'm not going to out iron hands in this, even if i get six practice games in before an event we can both rock up with the best list he will know how to use it better than me. So instead, I have focused on not playing the game that dominates the top tables. Q white scars pure combat list as an example. I will be at a pure list disadvantage, sure, but I also don't play the same game. So I have a puncher's chance in the most top meta list. Just a different approach to gain the most of limited practice time. Sure, I still lose a game in most events, but I get to be snowflaking while doing it, which is a reward. Um, that is what I call a counter medalist, list, and I love it. And I find I think it's one of the most rewarding pl- ways to play uh any kind of competitive um it's, it's, it's Street Fighter, League of Legends, uh, Warhammer, whatever. Any of these kind of things where you have like factions or players or characters, stuff like that. You uh, usually have, you have meta, counter meta, and off meta. Off meta are just people that are just doing their own thing. Uh, regardless, they're, just, they're oblivious or they just don't care to like what the meta is. Um, meta is obvious. It's what's popular. Whether it's popular because it's strong or popular because it's popular whatever. And then counter meta is very small. Thing of that but that is people who are looking to exploit uh the gaps left by the meta um so uh back when sisters came onto the scene they were very strong because um power armor was everywhere and everything everyone was like playing these big chunky kind of more expensive units whatever and everyone was bringing lots of anti-tank or lots of um know high AP, high strength high damage weaponry, and then you just had a million of these one wound models that were t3 and they didn't care about your strength of your gun because you're winning them on twos anyhow they didn't care about your ap because they just had an emblem uh and they didn't care about your damage because they were one wound and they were able to out trade because everyone was bringing the wrong guns and then mm-hmm. when dark eldar came out and dark eldar um Changed the face of Ninth edition. Um, everyone started. Granted, Dark Elder were out operating outside their power band. However, people, <laughs> were, bringing guns, people were bringing guns to to, to mech lots of vehicles simultaneously and then kill the T3 idiots that spilled out. Well, guess what? That was bad for sisters. Um, and so their, their days as a counter-meta faction ended just like that because Dark Elder were now meta and had the same profile as sisters. Um, so that's a specific example, but I um back when keeper rush was good, there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, Raphael, I love it. And I think I think that's a great way to approach the game. I think it's a rewarding way to approach the game. And most importantly, uh, it's a way to get reps with a single faction and really try to eke out those uh, those little optimizations to learn your good matchups, learn your bad matchups, more importantly to learn why they're good and why they're bad. Uh, And then also, you will have a slight advantage a lot of times, especially like in the Mm -hmm. mid, maybe not the top tables, but like at the mid and like upper, lower high, upper mid tables, because people don't know what your list does, or they don't have experience into it. And so that's a slight advantage you have there. I think it's a good thing. Like I said, uh, Cliff with the Death Watch, or anyone with the Death Watch, I think there's, there's a reasonable, GSC are leveraging it now. GSC, everyone's talking about Yeah. And they leverage it constantly. Because the yeah. the meta representation is so low, that they're like the most meta counter meta army I've ever seen. Because uh, they, if you have a hundred person event, there'll be like two people with GSC there, and one of them will be good, and one of them will be not so good. So no, no one's really. People just don't know how to play into that stuff. That's a great. That's a great way to approach scam in my opinion. It's a very rewarding way to approach it. Uh, what do you think? What do you think, Cliff?
1: I mean yeah that's it. I love it. Way to be honest in your own self-reflection way to be like take advantage of your time and focus on the stuff that matters most to you and get good at the thing that you care about. It's a great approach.
0: cool. Uh, and then more some some more like casual questions. uh Grant, what's on the hobby printing table? Brother, I've just been trying to finish slop chopping this uh, Slinessh Army so that way I can actually paint something I <laughs> want to paint um. I don't know if we're playing 9th or 10th of WTC. I don't know if I'm starting or not starting, but I'm just trying to get... I think I'm in the final iteration of this list, um, so I've just been working on it. I have a chariot. I have one chariot left to paint. I have one demonet squad left to paint, and then i got to base the whole the whole army, and then I'm done. Yep. Uh, it's been a chore. Love it. I've got
1: Chaos Knights, uh, Death Watch, obviously, and then uh, when Seraphon release i've got a bunch of seraphon big dino models ready to roll plus whatever is in that box so that's going to be pretty exciting though there is a uh, there is a red butcher's terminator list that is calling my name uh because the models look great and it would be really fun to unga bunga my way around some
0: rtt's with it even in early 10th we'll see i mean i think as long as you can figure out delivery like i think it'd be fine.
1: yeah land raiders baby
0: yeah, you do that. I mean, a lot of times, a lot of times, delivery is just putting so much pressure in your opponents, um, pressure your opponents so hard, challenging their space so much that they can't punish how slow your second or third. Worry waiters. about the
1: slow, unit. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's a great
0: point. So that's a way to do it. I mean, it's a little bit terrain dependent, but that's that's definitely a way to approach it. Um, Tim, what's your favorite cut of protein to smoke? Um, that depends. If I have like, if it's for, if I'm entertaining. Um, and I need it done by a certain time, then I'll do like tri-tip or picanha, uh, and then I'll usually do something easy like um, like pork or fish, um, especially for like people who are not, you know, dietary concerns and stuff like that. Um, and that's pretty decent. If I'm doing it for myself or my family and time is not of the essence and or I'm just trying to flex on people, it's, it's hard to beat a brisket uh, because <laughs> – <laughs> I love the trying to flex on people. I'm, I'm telling you, like people people who are not like um, big into smoking or something like that. Like, so even if you brisket is kind of like almost like a rite of passage, like if you're smoking because it takes a long time and there's a couple little like pitfalls you can fall into. And I think, mm. and it's a it's an expensive cut of meat. Um, I don't recommend I don't recommend smoking more than like a 13 or 14 pound. After that, it gets too big. It starts heating unevenly. it's just, it's more trouble than it's worth, but like something in the 12 mm-hmm. to 14 pound range is like the perfect size. Um, but there's a lot of pitfalls, you know, like preparation, uh, it drying out the dreaded stall, which is like at 160 degrees, the temperature stops rising. And at that point you either just push through it or you wrap it, um, uh, to try to get up to 200 degrees, then it's done. Um, but I've never had anyone not be impressed when i finally when it's been sitting and resting i take it out and you cut it right down the middle and you flip it or you turn it out so you can see the cut and you squeeze it and all the like juices oh, the right little, little money shot um never never had anyone not be impressed by that especially people who are not you know like like the kind of like the pit master or smoking and grilling crowd you know like it's it's just a crowd pleaser every single time and it's it's so good. It's so it's so bad for you, man. I looked up the nutrition guide <laughs> brisk one time and I was like, oh I can't I can't unsee that. Um but yeah, that's that's probably it. So like a smaller like I said, bacon or try or tri tip, uh, if I have a timeline I'm trying to hit. But if if I got some money to burn and I'm trying to trying to crowd, please definitely brisket. it. Yeah.
1: Tim, give me once. Re- let me back in in one second. I gotta reload because I'm driving myself crazy with this. Decau- okay.
0: While you do that, I'm going to go through the comments. Uh, blah, blah, blah. That. Sam is I'm trying to think if Sam was talking to us or he's trying to talk to someone in the thing. Definitely agreed, though. Should click deep rather wide like just on the fly. Yeah, part, I definitely agree, Sam. Uh, part two is definitely the best. Cliff, you back? I'm back. All right. Just catch you up on uh, Sam's comments. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree on all those, Sam. Um, okay, we're almost done with the questions. Uh, game hobby pet peeve, uh, Cliff. I've been talking entirely too much, so I'm gonna let you lead on this. <laughs> Your game hobby pet peeve?
1: No, man, you're the you've got you've got like good rundowns. Um, I don't know whether I've got. All right, here's a silly pet peeve, on the hobby end. Your bases, borders must be painted. They must, preferably black. Brown is okay. Not green. Unless you're memeing and doing some sort of old school like you gotta
0: fully commit though. You need the
1: flock, it's gotta be yeah. flat, no rocks. Like then you go goblin green or whatever the equivalent is. they
0: early nineties, ultra yeah. green slash blowing yeah, yeah. out. Yeah, that's the way. If you're gonna do that, yeah, how about do the, it. how uh, about this? Textured basing on the rim. No, abs <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> like I can't. It physically distresses me. Do not do that shit.
0: Jesus Christ, God. I I like it when oh. they do it, but it's like not. It's not even even. It's like, it's just pure chaotic evil. Like oh, no, just, the texture is just like glue. It's like glued over the side, like melted. I just got goosebumps. Like, it, <laughs> it makes me so unhappy.
1: Yeah, don't do that. That's a huge hobby pet peeve for me. I don't mind it's the
0: like. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, is it, it's funny because when they do that. It, it it softens that edge of the top of the base and the side of the base and it just it almost looks like the bottom of like a flying base but like cursed
1: yeah yeah it, yeah. it's just bad it's
0: so bad don't do that guys please
1: um
0: yeah, there is, no, yeah. drill yeah. who a, cares like whatever that's fine but don't do that to your bases there is a, I'll, have to, I'll have to link it sometime I'll link it in the discord it's hilarious I gotta find it uh, I don't even know if I follow it. I think I may have unfollowed it because it was too cursed but there's this Instagram, there's it just reminds me there's this Instagram uh page of this guy, and he's just I don't know where he finds these. I think he finds them on like eBay or use lots or whatever, or he just likes people send him pictures, but it's just it's it's all like kit bashes and conversions, but they're all cursed. <laughs> Like it'll be like a kit bash, but it'll have like like it'll have like base, but the base will be like old dog hair or something like that. It's just like oh, the worst. Co- it's like no. it's just the wor- most cursed things you could ever like the actual food. It's just like terrible, no. terrible thing. Lots lots of bad basing jobs. It's like, Um, the diametrical opposite
1: of like ASMR videos. Just like makes you want to turn it off as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah. Um. God, I can't. I want to make some sort of like tirade against like what you see is what you get or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, so my, I guess, I guess I don't really, I'm pretty, I'm real permissive, honestly. Um, yeah. Especially it's, if it's, if it's not an event, like if it's not, it's a, it's an expensive hobby. If you want to proxy a model, like before you commit to buying with like, yeah. your like 80 or a hundred dollar kit. Yeah. Cause you're just considering it like for an upcoming event, you know, and you're like, eh, the model's okay. I kind of want to like, run this, but I don't want to like, the hobby is expensive, man. If you don't like the unit or you're not going to use the unit, like I'm not going to pressure you into buying it for a practice game. That's ridiculous. Um, what you see is what you get is one of those things. that, Like, I think most people, like when they're kind of do the hobby, they're worried about, you'll see people post about on discord or Reddit or whatever. And they're like, Oh, people be okay if I do this, people be okay to do this, blah blah blah. Like as long as it doesn't cause confusion. Yeah, it's fine. Nobody cares. And even it, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you're running your ultramarines hell blasters and you're like you're like, Oh yeah, uh they have they have the plasma eradicator two thousand, but they're actually modeled with the plasma demolisher five thousand. Like, are you okay with this? I'm like, bro, they look like plasma guns. I can't tell the difference. They're the only one of that unit in your army, like
1: no problem we're good yeah
0: yeah there's not going to be any oh they shot a slightly different flavor of plasma than i was expecting like it's not going to change anything um yeah what you see is what you get in my opinion is a scam run by big plastic to keep you spending like, <laughs> you
1: to spending
0: so there oh man if it really worries you i guess like magnetized. but like man there's like kids trying to get into a hobby like
1: yeah it's just like
0: math. yeah they're, they're, like i'm not gonna tell like like a, a high school kid that like to go go buy magnets go buy like clippers go buy a vice drill go buy all this other kind of stuff so you can magnetize it like just come on man like i'm just tell me what he has and then like if 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 like budget the hobby is getting more and more expensive the prices keep going up so if you even have to like run a thing where you have two units and they look similar but they have different loadouts just you're gonna like you're gonna put some sort of thing to differentiate the squads anyhow like paint the bases or put like a little rubber band on it or like use squad marks, or whatever. And just be like, Hey, the red squad has the strength eight guns. The blue squad has the strength five guns. Oh, good. Cool. Yeah. Before yeah. I make any kind of meaningful decision in movement or whatever, I will probably ask you and clarify. And then I'm going to, and then I'm going to start making the actual decisions where it matters. And as long as like, they don't suddenly change places like days, <laughs> like, we're, We'll have bigger issues. Like it's it's yeah, fine. Yeah. So I, I would that would be the thing. I think I think there's just like I think people accidentally try to like they try to give advice about what you see is what you get, and they just misrepresent the general like zeitgeist of like the community on it. Yeah, think we're very chill about that stuff. So yeah, yeah, people, people are, people are
1: super chill. We're you know, yeah. we're playing with toys, it's all good.
0: Okay. Uh we're almost done. Uh favorite protein shake to smoke. That is a total meme question. Uh, Do you guys take notes to your games? So, what type of things do you jot down? I don't. So, I know I I gave this advice. Um, I did that a lot when I was starting. Um, I don't do it as much anymore Um, now. If I if I if I do something, if I make a decision, whether it pays off or not, if I felt it was a wrong decision, I will I will mentally and verbally pause. In a practice game, I won't say this in an event game, um, but I, I might pause, but I won't say it out loud. But in a practice game, I will pause and I'll be like, oof, shouldn't have done that, or that was a mistake. Even if it pays off, I'll be like, that that was a mistake, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done that. You know, like, oh, I charged one too many units, or I spent CP here, that was overkill, blah, 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 that's less CP I'll have later, or something like that. Just taking that mental pause can kind of help me remember.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then it gives you. It also gives your opponent like a good chance to also like offer you constructive criticism right there on the spot. Um, when I was more taking notes, I found where I got the most impact or the most bang for my buck initially was like all anything in the early game. Um, so after we deployed, um, after we deployed, if my opponent went first. And then he did his movement, his shooting phase, and then his charge phase. That's where you're going to get, like, the most, like, instant regret right there. It's like, ooh, I shouldn't have had that unit there. Ooh, I should have had that unit next to this aura of, like, Apothecary or Field of Pain. Or, oh, I should have screened out this lawyer there. That is a great time to, like, take a picture and then, like, write a note right then and there while it's fresh in your memory. Because then after that, the game just kind of um, – the game kind of breaks down. And a lot of the stuff in the mid and the end game is going to be very, very dependent on the context of that specific game and might not transfer our, our games. Um, and it's kind of like a shout out again, the reason why I always recommend people to do, especially if you're starting out, <coughs> to do re sessions. Not every game makes it to mid game or end game. You, you definitely need to practice those. But if you're a newer player or if you're an aspiring player, every game has a deployment phase. Every game has an early game. So that's where you get the most bang for your buck. Not every game has a mid or end game. Some games just end too soon. Um but yeah, I would say t- I would definitely take notes after your opponent moves something up or drops a drop pod or exploits a hole in your screen or whatever turn one or turn two and just obliterates like 25% of your army, that is a great time to scribble down some notes <laughs> going, Ooh, what happened there. Yeah. You shouldn't have done that, you know. Or if like you, or if you did like or if you managed to like set yourself up or if you accidentally or if you like, you tried something new. Um, if you tried something new in deployment, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to like dangle this unit out here a little bit further than I'm comfortable with, and then, uh, and then see if you know, see how it plays out. If I go first, I can leverage it. You know, I can leverage the aggressive position a little better. Or if I go second, I might lose it, but I'm okay with that. Or that might just that might not that might not even be something that's on my opponent's radar, uh, and I just don't get punished. You play a couple games with it, and you're like, hmm, I, I kind of like that. I think I'm going to start doing that from now on. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that. Uh, do you think being able to three D print has contributed to hobby burden backlog? Infinite possibilities to print random bullshit like I do. Uh, I used to commission three D print, and I just I've kind of burnt out on that a little bit and the markets got a little bit saturated. So now I've definitely, I've definitely downsized like my setup. Um, and also I think the answer to this question definitely depends on how many, how many printing failures you've had. Uh, if you've had a, <laughs> if you've had a lot of, if you've had a lot of failures and or leaks and or cracked screens, it is, yeah. it can definitely be a burden backlog or whatever. Um, also, I mess with the uh, mesh mixer a lot. And if I'm trying to like, especially if I'm trying to do stuff for other people and they have a request, something like that, uh, the process of getting the mesh mixer and then supporting, that's a that's gonna be a solid like hour or two of mesh mixing, exporting uh to STLs, um, orienting, filling up a bill plate, supporting, um, all the stuff that you're doing on your computer, like it takes a lot of time actually. So it's pretty, it's pretty big time seeing At This time you could be spending playing games, uh, doing real hobbying, like anything. Yeah. So, so def- it's definitely, you only have so much hobby bandwidth and it can definitely be like a thing. But if you're just trying to do like small, simple stuff, you know, if you don't go deep, you won't get deep.
1: Yeah. It's definitely added to, I feel like it's been a net addition to my hobby hobby work it's definitely a little bit more time but at the same time it's time that i don't spend like so as an example like i have a couple of gray knight um nemesis dreadnights back there that are converted from the like old school boxy dreadnoughts um slammed onto the nemesis nemesis dreadknight model with a bunch of flags like they look really cool i did that pre-3d printer and now i could just like 3d print the exact pieces that i wanted and, like, put those into the Nemesis Dreadnought model instead of spending a bunch of money on extra Dreadnought models, cutting them, green stuffing some pieces. Like, it saved me both time and money. Um, it would have saved me both time and money in the long run uh, to be able to do that. And even now, it's, like, saved me time, especially with the chapter like Death Watch, um, just giving the amount of customization possible and the way it lends itself to that level of customization to just be able to say, like, oh, like, I want X chapter badges. I'm going to print them out. Two hours later they're done. Curated, painted done. Um, yeah. It's definitely like a nice, nice addition for me so far. But I'm also very purposely not getting too deep into it. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's um it was nice like recently when I was uh doing my world eaters, and they come with tendo box, but they only come with one icon. Oof. Um need icons. But but I just like went over to Colts Colts 3D and someone had a had a just generic CSM type of backpack with a eight point star, some skulls hanging off it. And I was just like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Just Mm -hmm. download it, turned it 45 degrees, auto support, put 20 on a bill plate. Two hours later, I had 20 of them. Cost me like maybe like a dollar, not even a dollar of resin. Yeah. 50 cents of resin. So good. Um, I also think generally, I think it's upped. I mean, I'm sure on the high end, previous to 3D printers, you have you have people who are really talented with 3D sculpting, but that meant that you only saw those really cool conversions on from high end people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I think the general bar of the hobby has been raised. You're seeing way more cooler conversions hobby wide uh, as people are just uh, 3D printing stuff. I think it's also uh, kind of opened up a funny like ship a thesis kind of like philosophical questions, <laughs> you know? like, Do you? like 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 yeah. yeah, well, like well, um uh the juggernaut lord uh the lord invocatus um that comes with base it comes with one juggernaut mount and mm. it comes with basically two chaos lords in it and so or the um the Tyrannid hive tyrant comes with like one and a half high in the kit and so it's kind of it almost opens up a little philosophical like for like those who even care it's like well if you use 3d printing to get two models out of the same um the same box uh is that second one a gw model or is it a 3d printed model with gw parts on it it's it's a funny like ship i i was telling people i was like man it's kind of like a ship of thesis kind of like kind of situation over there i'm not 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 thinking it's like right or wrong whatever just interesting little philosophical question um but i do think it's been a net positive for the hobby in general for sure all right last question from the discord uh when do you two think it's worthwhile to get an army or even models commission payment for you um we i want to get jim stanley on the show sometime cuz yeah. he's got, he's given us a lot of, he said this is still some of my favorite feedback on the show uh, i've gotten positive feedback i've gotten uh more critical feedback and like sometimes critical hurts hurts to hear but you know it's good to like self analyze and reflect but he told us through anthony that uh this show really reinvigorated the way he looked at the hobby um and that's that's really really cool to to hear that someone got in the hobby, um, but we wanted to get them on the show anyhow and talk about that. But they also talk about do like commission episode about like when it's worth it. Um, it can be expensive. Um, but there's like levels, like most commissioners will have like levels of how much you want to do. Um, a commission isn't always like someone just doing like, you know, five colors parade, ready, custom, whatever army that's going to cost like two times what you paid to army to begin with sometimes it can just be like well while i'm painting the models that are fun to paint i also need to get like seven units of troops just three colors of base and i just need a second set of hands so i don't gouge my eyes out trying to like do this (laughs) Uh, and and you can that can be something as simple as throwing know 100 bucks 200 bucks like to a buddy you'd be surprised if the if the bar you're looking for is pretty low you don't have to go to like an artist you can just go you can literally just you can get a buddy who's never done a commission before but you've like like oh he knows what he's doing with the paintbrush he knows how to thin his paints you can toss them like 100 or 200 bucks you know or something like that or a coaching game or like some beers like buying a case of beer or whatever and then they can do that for you so if like that's what you're trying to look for just like um you know, like a many hands make light work situation. Like mm-hmm. you can do that. Or if you, if you know you're, if you love hobbying or whatever, or you don't love hobbying, um, but you have this model that you really love and you just feel for whatever reason that you are not going to be able to do it justice or whatever. Um, The Triumph of St. Catherine, uh, Gilliman, Angron, the, centerpiece the Lion, models. You know, centerpiece <clears throat> models, you know, and you want to like kind of treat yourself a little bit. Then that would be like the opposite end of the spectrum. It's a little bit of a splurge, but because you're doing it in such a low volume, it's not gonna be like a bank buster. Um, so those would be like the two scenarios where I think I personally would try to maybe mm-hmm. do it.
1: I'm like the the act of pain, the act of hobbying, the full like unclip them, clean them, glue them, or like all of that, all of that stuff brings me deep joy, even when it's really tedious. So it's like there are definitely times I'm like oh, I don't have enough time to do all these things but also like I know that by commissioning I will then not have the opportunity to paint those models myself which is something that I really want to do um, all I'd say is that like I think commissioning is awesome and it lets people that are artistically talented um, or just like straight up efficient gain additional income and it lets people that want to put models on the table that look good do so really quickly uh, so I think it's awesome. Um, and i also think personally there's my own particular like obsession with the the artsy side of the hobby i think keeps me from doing it in a way that isn't probably as productive as it could be for <laughs> that that's okay
0: cool uh let's see i think that's everything for the question locker let me just uh, go to the comments real quick. Make sure I didn't miss anything. I you don't too. think I missed anything. Just a whole lot of shit talking when we went 25 minutes without going live. <laughs> so good. Uh, we're so good. At, we are so good at this. I'm so yeah. glad we're about the main show. Just, um. Just oh, that is it, man. Cliff, glad we we're finally able to touch base again. Glad oh. we we're finally able to get this up and running again. So I, I, good. um keep the momentum going. Brother, uh, it's always good to talk to you. Always fun to do a show with you. I all, all our viewers and everything love you guys, and um, we'll see you on the Discord. Maybe so. else.
1: Check us out, check out Stat Check Tuesdays 7 p.m. or 6 p.m. Eastern, sometime GMT. Check out Enter the Matrix, hosted my Typhus. Comes out in uh intermittently, but when it's out, you should check it out. Best team
0: content available, um, best content available, in my opinion. Honestly, yeah.
1: The low key secret, guys, is that Team 40k drives the singles game. Right? like That's where all the cool, innovative, really interesting stuff pops up, usually for the first time. Um, it makes its way down to the uh, all the individual stuff. Uh, hit up our website. Hit up the dashboard. Hit up our buddies over at Goonhammer. Uh, check out Out of War, out of War Down Under. Um, those are all the things. See you guys later. Thanks for hanging in there. See ya. For more shows like this, check out the Goonhammer Media Network. More info at media.goonhammer.com.